And uh, it being Sunday, uh, as well as Palm Sunday, I just want to thank Brother Gary for giving me the opportunity to open up the Word of God and present it. Um, just so you know, if I do go over time, he has agreed to cut short his message next week to compensate for what I go over today. It's going to happen. Just get ready. So um, I'm just really excited to be able to present this to you um, on Palm Sunday. I'm going to read, we're going to pray, we're going to jump right in. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. It says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, that what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I'm going to say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. Let's pray. God, I just thank you. Thank you again for your word. I thank you that we can we have the word of God at our disposal. I pray that we will just dive into it. God, I pray that we will read it in the context in which it is written. God, I pray that we will apply it to our lives and we won't be like the man who sees his reflection and walks away and forgets it. But that we will take this word and we will apply it to our lives. God, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Open our eyes and our ears to the truth of the gospel. God, I pray that you will speak through me, Jesus, and that nothing that I say today will be of myself, but will strengthen your word and according to your scripture. And it is sufficient, and it does not need my help. I thank you, Jesus, for who you are. I thank you for what you've done for us. Do this now in Jesus' name, amen. Now, y'all, if y'all seen me preach before, I normally walk around a lot and jump up and down, and I'm going to try not to do that since I'm up here on this podium. And also, uh, I, I am aware of time, and so I am going to refer a lot to my notes so that I stay on track. It is Palm Sunday. It is uh, when we normally when we celebrate the Jesus triumphant entry of Jerusalem at the Passover. Right? People are shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people are quoting from Psalm 118, 25 through 26. And they're basically saying, save us now. Send prosperity now. Here comes our Savior. And, and each time that I, I read this and I study this passage of the crowd shouting Hosanna, it always amazes me that in just a few short days, in a week, the, the crowd goes from Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, into shouts of crucify him. We don't want him. Put him up on the cross and give us the thief. It always boggles my mind. How could they jump from that for just a few days? And from what I've studied and from what I've gathered, it's because Jesus wasn't who they were expecting. He wasn't doing the things that they wanted him to do. They were expecting and had created in their minds a savior that would overthrow the Roman government. 
he would bring back Israel to all its glory, both in power and financially. And the crowd, like many that followed Jesus, were following him to get something from him. Just like, do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 plus people in John chapter 6? The next day he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, and they all follow him. And as they come, he calls them out. He says, listen, y'all don't want to hear from me. Y'all just want to eat again. He calls them out because he knew that they just wanted to get the blessing and not the one giving the blessings. Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. But he's saying that I am the bread of life and that I completely satisfy. I bring total fulfillment and you'll never hunger for fulfillment again. But the people took it as a literal saying so they were like, never mind, my bad. And they all left. Could you imagine the disciples thought? It was kind of like what Brother Gary talked about last week. Imagine what the disciples thought. We have like 5,000 plus people. We are a mega church. And you're talking about eating flesh and blood. What is your view? Church, I, I have been, and I've shared this with some of you, I have been and I continue to grieve. And I'm grieving because the modern evangelical Christian church is just like this crowd. Let's follow Jesus and he'll give us stuff. We will get blessings, health, wealth, and happiness. We've created this Jesus that's more like a genie in a lamp. We want him around to grant our wishes. But other than that, we don't have much use for him. We follow him when it's convenient. We've compartmentalized our relationship with Jesus and only bring him out when it's convenient to our needs or our lifestyle choices. Or if we want to get on it, an argument on the internet. Like this crowd that shouted, Hosanna, save us now. Give us prosperity now. And when he doesn't perform how we want him to, we find no use for him. I'll, put you, I'll pull you back out when I need a raise at work or I need a new car or when I know someone is sick. Then I'll call you back. Church, I'm grieving for the state of our churches in this country as being spread around the world. I am grieving because of what we have made of Jesus Christ in this gospel. I grieve because of the lack of bringing glory to God and an increase in glorifying of self. I grieve because we care more about politics and chasing the American dream than we do about the souls of the lost in our world. I grieve because I fear that preference has surpassed passion. That comfort has pushed out sacrifice. And I grieve because the gifts from God have become idols. I grieve because of the warped and watered-down gospel that is being propagated behind pulpits and on stages that send thousands, if not millions, to hell. This morning on Palm Sunday, out of the love that I have for the church, I want to make sure that we have a biblical understanding of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, of what it is, of what it is not, and why we need it. You might ask, you might be sitting there asking, well, shouldn't this really wait until next week? Right? 
That's when the CEOs come, the Christmas Easter only come. That's when they come. We're, we're a family, right? We all know. I have three arguments against that. One, I used to think the same way. Until Jesus opened my eyes and my ears to the truth. And I understood for the first time the gospel. See, I was that kid who went down and got rededicated like every other week. Right? I went down and got rededicated over and over again because I held on to this prayer that I said as a child that I did not understand. All I knew was that hell said the bad and I didn't want to go there. But I didn't understand what I was doing when I said this prayer. But I held on to it as my salvation, but it was not. I was scared into a prayer. And I'm so thankful to God that I grew up in a church that taught, the gospel, that taught the gospel every week. And one Sunday, I finally understood and accepted the free grace of God from the Father through Jesus Christ. Through what He did on the cross, and now I'm reconciled to God. That's the first reason. The second is, I never want to assume that a group of this size, that everyone is saved and that everyone is a follower of Jesus. Why? Because we are really good at pretending. And I was the chief of pretending. You can ask my mom. She's here. She's right there. You can ask my mom. Every Sunday, this is going to shock some of y'all, I wear a suit and tie to church every week. Some of y'all eyebrows are going up right now like, really? Because you look like a homeless person who come on Sunday most days, right? <laughs> but I used to do that. I wore the suit and tie. I had all the Sunday school answers. Jesus, God, heaven, hell, Satan, right? In fact, I could beat most of y'all in the Bible drill, and I didn't even have the cheap little tabs, but I knew where it was. But I was lost. And the third reason that we need to talk about the gospel is as a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, I can't hear about the gospel enough. The gospel is what saves us. It keeps us saved. It sanctifies us, justifies us, and one day glorifies us. I need to be reminded of the gospel as much as possible to keep me thankful, humble, gracious, merciful, loving, and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. Because some people think that we start the gospel and somehow we graduate to something more, to something else. But I'm telling you, it starts with the gospel, it's sustained by the gospel, or held together, and it, and it ends with the gospel. In Romans 1.16, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for those who believe. The gospel is God's only way to bring salvation to those who believe. We need to remind ourselves daily as a Christian about the gospel. Paul Washer said it this way, the gospel is not only for the lost, but also for the Christian. And if you aren't a Christian, or maybe you've had some doubts, maybe you're not exactly sure about what you believe because there's no evidence in your life, then you need to hear how truly great it is and how you need it more than anything else in this world. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture this morning, but primarily Galatians 1. I already read it for you, but here Paul is calling out the church for falling away from the true gospel. Verse 6, I marvel, which means I am amazed. I am amazed that you are turning away, which means deserting or forsaken, so soon. And this term so soon is important because it can mean one of two things. It can mean because Paul hadn't been gone that long. And they're already starting to doubt. They're already starting to turn. Or the fact that Galatians was written in 49 AD, which is only like 
16 years after Christ was crucified and rose again. It's not that long. To students, 16 years seems like forever. For those of us who are old, it's like, I, I was just 16. What are you talking about? Right? It wasn't that long. But it says that you have turned away so soon from him. From who? From God. And this is great. Who called you. Because he does the calling. See, God initiates the process. He always moves first. He was first. He went first. He loves first. And he initiates the process of reconciliation first. He calls you in the grace of Christ. See, the gospel is all about grace. Getting what we don't deserve. That's why Ephesians 2 is so important. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And that's where we get our belief system that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. You're turning away so soon from him. Him who calls you to a different gospel. Verse 7, which is not another. Which, in other words, Paul's saying, there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. But there are some who trouble you or confuse or disturb you and want to pervert, change, or distort the gospel of Christ. And it's important that that article is used correctly. The gospel of Christ, indicating that there is one gospel. There is one good news. There's not a variety of ways. There's one way. And Paul describes it. He describes it very clearly. First, I want to define the word gospel. Gospel means what? Good news. Right? Most people know that. You're raised in church. It's good news. As I was studying for this, I found out a, a little bit more. It means good news, but more specifically, in a time of war, it was the proclamation of the good news to the citizens of a kingdom that a battle has been won by no effort of their own. He knows I'm going with this already. See, let's... Ah, okay, so I'm going to start preaching. We get to bask in the spoils of the victory because we are a part of the kingdom. Paul defines the gospel very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. One of my favorite verses to go back to when we talk about the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you receive and in which you stand. Again, the gospel saves us and by its power we stay saved. Verse 2, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word that I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Unless you believe in vain, what is that? Well, one of the things that that could mean is, did you even really believe? Did you truly believe? Or maybe you just said a prayer to get hell insurance, but you live however you want and you don't truly believe it. That is vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you of all First of all, that which I also received. And here it is. The gospel is right here. Listen. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. As a Christian, 
That should light your fire, man. As a Christian, that should get you excited. Because not only did it happen, but it, it's been prophesied all throughout the years, and it happened. He died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive. So we gather together, folks. This isn't enough, sorry. But it's not a funeral. It's a praise. Celebration. He's alive. And we're alive through him. That's the gospel. This is what the gospel is. You don't add to it. You don't subtract from it. This is what the gospel is. In a moment, we're going to look at why we need the gospel. We're going to go back to Galatians 1.8. It says, but even if we, and I want to pause there and focus on the word we there. We, why, why does Paul say we? Because Paul gave this, this message, and he only surrounded himself with good people. And the reason why is because some people start off in the right gospel. Some people start off believing the right stuff. And then they get off on some tangent. They focus on one thing, or maybe they, they take scripture out of context of the chapter and book that it's in, and they, they come up with this whole new religion or belief system. They start off with the right gospel, and they go into something else. That's why we must be aware, listen, you must be aware of false prophets. Be careful who you listen to on the radio or on TV. Be careful whose books you read. And be careful who you follow on social media. Our country is filled with false prophets who, like the Judaizers, which I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute, that Paul's addressing in Galatians, they twist, they pervert, they change, or they add to the gospel and make it into something it's not. See, the Judaizers at this time were Jews who said, well, yeah, you've got to believe in God. But you also have to follow Jewish law and customs, and more importantly, you have to be circumcised. That is not the gospel of the Bible. That is faith plus works. That is not the salvation of the Bible. And quite frankly, if I'm a Gentile and that's the requirement, I'm rethinking this whole Christian thing. Right? They come to me and they're like, oh, we got to do this. I'm good. I'm, never mind. Pass. Right? They're adding to the gospel. Earlier I quoted Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes. Who believes. That's the important part. Not everyone who believes and then goes to catechism class. Not everyone who believes and then does a bunch of good stuff. Not everyone who believes and is really religious. No, it says everyone who believes is by faith. See, religion says my activity earns a right standing with God. The gospel says Jesus' activity earns my relationship with God. Religion says do. The gospel says done. Paul later says in, in chapter 3 of Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing the faith? Did you get saved and now all of a sudden you follow the law is going to keep you saved? You really think that's going to happen? And of the Judaizers, Paul gets really graphic in chapter 5 when he says he wished they'd accidentally castrate themselves. 
This is how serious Paul is about this. And this is why we need to be serious about this. There are several modern-day false prophets and false gospels that you need to protect yourself and your children and your loved ones from. And I've prayed over this several times that God would stop them from talking. The prosperity gospel peddlers, Joel and Victoria Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Stephen Curick, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes. This is the health and wealth movement, promoting financial and physical blessings as the purpose of Jesus' work on the cross. Is that not the most narcissistic thing you've ever heard in your life? It's also known as the word of faith movement. Then, then there's the new apostolic reformation of the hyper-charismatics. These are Todd White, Bill Johnson of Bethel Church, Joseph Prince, Mike Bickle of the International House of Prayer, or IHOP. It's as much of a joke as that game is, I promise. These will add an experience to the salvation experience. And many of these experiences are not biblical and are occultic in nature. They value emotions over theology and personal revelations over the, the sufficiency of Scripture. Then there are the obvious false religions of Jehovah's Witnesses and the Church of Latter-day Saints and the Mormons. Beware of these. Beware. These false prophets and religions claim to be Christian. And I won't do the time restraints going to eat how each of them these so-called pastors present a false gospel and take advantage of their congregants and leave thousands, if not millions, for a false beliefism. And you might say, well, Chris, you're being very intolerant. You're being a little harsh. You're calling out people's names. Isn't that a little intolerant in our day of tolerance? Hey, Dr. Pat, I got a question for you. I'll come down to this one. Dr. Pat, <clears throat> if there was a doctor who was prescribing false medications and that was killing people and getting people sick and, and just all more than wrong, basically, by killing people with medication, would they not take away their license and kick them out of the profession? Yes, and go to jail. A doctor just said yes. And justifiably so. They're hurting people, right? And we would, we would support that as a church, as a people. Lock them away. Take away their license. Never let them practice medicine again. But why do we sit back and let false prophets take the true gospel and drag it through the mud? And then they present this gospel that's not a true gospel that sends millions of people to hell. And we sit back idly by and let them do it. No more, church. We can't do it anymore. The way that they and other false prophets per pervert the true gospel, there's a couple ways. One is they weaken Christ. They weaken Jesus by saying that he was not fully God, but he was a man just like us, and he attained God-like status, or that he wasn't God until, I won't tell you who said this, but I almost vomited, until God touched him and put the Holy Spirit in him. Which is not what the scripture teaches us. 
Jesus was fully God, fully man. Jesus is the incarnate second person of the Trinity. And that teaching goes directly against John chapter 1. Does it not? Where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. And there was life, and the life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was fully God. He, he is fully God. And if anyone teaches you something else, it is a false gospel. And two, they make the gospel all about us. And what we can get out of the relationship with Jesus. Instead of focusing the story on Jesus, about his redemptive story of salvation and the reconciliation of all things, all for the glory of God and not us. And three, this is the biggest one. They completely leave out sin and hell and the sufficiency of Scripture. They use terms that like, well, we're mistake. We make mistakes. They use self-help methods. The best life now. They have personal revelations that do not are not in accordance with the scripture. And they have an everyone goes to heaven message. I really like it how one pastor said it about the true gospel. He says, We are not mistakers that need to try harder. We are not bad people in need of a life coach. We are dead in need of rescue, in need of life, and we are sinners that need a savior. Prosperity gospel is idolatry. Matt Chandler says in his book, The Explicit Gospel, it is idolatry to what God for his benefits, but not for himself. This has become the American gospel. As John Piper put it, prosperity cannot be proof of God's favor since it's what the devil promises to those who worship him. And one more warning before I move on. This is a warning that my pastor I grew up under, Herb Rebus, said. He said, the outward, listen, this is important. The outward appearance and outward person of the messenger and the size of the crowd listening does not validate the message that the preacher, that, that is being preached by the messenger. Their outward appearance and person and size of crowd does not validate the message that is preached. The message is validated by its content. In case you cannot tell, I stand with people like John Piper, John MacArthur, and Rabbi Zachariah who stand against the prosperity gospel and pray for the things. Back to the scripture. Verse 8. But, if, but even if we are an angel from heaven. Now remember, folks, the devil was an angel of life. Remember that? And he can make you believe you are seeing an angel when it's really the devil if you have no discernment. Do you think that God inspired Paul to write this and do that? Do you think he was aware of these things? Do you think God that in his foreknowledge knew that one day a man named Joseph Smith would claim to be spoken to by an angel and start the church of Latter-day Saints and call up these millions to help? Do you think he knew that in his foreknowledge? 
You think that he knew that when a false prophet like Bill Johnson claims that he sees angels everywhere he goes and that feathers just fall from the sky when he's out there. He said this from the Feathers just fall. And then there's glory clouds. Wait till you hear about this. This is not in the notes. I'm sorry. But there's these glory clouds in their services that just come out and it's just full of gold dust. Because no one with a smoke machine can do that. It must be Jesus. Sorry. I say that out of love, I promise. Paul covers all these areas here with the direction of the Holy Spirit. If we, if, if we as a physical being, or if you see a vision, and only you see it, and it goes against everything we preach regarding the gospel, then verse 8 says, let him be accursed. This term is known as the anathema. This means that the false teacher be cursed forever, denounce this evil with no, no hope of escape. He's a strong cursing by Paul, but he's being very purposeful. Verse 9 repeats himself. Why does he repeat himself? Because when the Bible makes a point, it repeats itself. They didn't underline and bold and italicize, they repeated it. Why? Because when the false gospel is preached, the people believe it, and it's giving them an eternal death sentence. I'm going to move on for lack of time. Verse 10 says, For do I not persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. See, Paul knows that the message of the true gospel will not always be received with open arms. It won't. Telling the world that we are wretched, black-hearted sinners that have no good in us at all, that we are separated from God, will one day go to hell if we do not accept the free gift of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to bring reconciliation between man and God and promise of eternal life, and that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God there is no other way. That's not a popular belief. It's not a feel-good message. But it's the message of Scripture. And all people will respond to the gospel in one way or another. They'll either accept it or they will reject it. And the rejection will either be through rebellion against God or through religion and try to earn it through self-righteousness. And when Paul uses the term bondservant, it's referring to a servant that is born into servanthood and that only death can separate. You see, when I was born, I was born a slave to sin. I was dead in my sins, and the devil was my master. But there was a death. Jesus died, and his death ended my slavehood, gave me life, and now I'm alive in Christ, connected to him by loving chains of gospel grace. He is my loving master, I am his loving servant, and he is to have complete lordship over my life. He is preeminent. He is before all things, and in him all things consist, according to Galatians, uh, Colossians 1, right? In Deuteronomy 6, 4, with, with, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Meaning God is the only one, and the one thing that all other things revolve around. Is God the one thing in your life that everything else revolves around? If so, then Jesus is preeminent, meaning everything you do, in word or deed, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, Colossians 
job, I do it as unto the Lord, because he is the one thing, the one that I do all things for. At school, students, at school, I do my very best, because I am doing it as if unto the Lord. At home, I love my spouse and my family, and I obey my parents as unto the Lord, because he is the one driving force in my life. My finances are not out of control, but instead, and I'm not in control of them, because instead I do as the Lord commands, because He is the one in control of it all. At church, at work, at home, in private, Jesus is preeminent. God is one, and that changes everything. He is the Lord of my life as much as He is the Savior of my soul. So, so far we've examined what the gospel is, what it is not. But many times we miss why we need the gospel. And if I may, if you don't mind, I'd like to explain to you the way I shared with the students at the last open gym of the why behind the gospel. Why did Jesus die? What is sin? What are we being saved from? If you don't know the answer to those questions, you'll never understand the gospel. And I always say this in every open gym because I never know who's going to do it. We invite everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what your background, everyone's invited to open gym. And I never know who's there who's an atheist, an agnostic, no belief system. I never know. So I always start with this. Let's assume everything in here is true. For sake of argument, let's just assume everything in here is true. Now, that's my belief. I believe everything is true. I'm sure most of you are the same way. But maybe you're having doubts. Because there are some people who think, well, it's not really relevant this time. I've heard that a lot. But I always start with, let's just assume this is true. For sake of argument. For the rest of our time together. And here we go. It goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In order to understand the gospel, you must believe in the one true God and that he created all things. School teaches the theory of evolution and the Big Bang theory, which basically all basically states that all the stars, all the planets, the sun, human life came from a space gas that exploded one day, and all things just perfectly aligned, fell into perfect gravity. All scientific law just came into being, and a single cell organism eventually transformed into human kind. The Bible teaches that God spoke all things into creation and placed them perfectly in the sky, in space and on earth. Then he said, let's make man in our image, and he formed them out of the dust of the earth, and God breathed life into man, and then God created the woman from the rib of the man, and he gave the man and woman dominion over the earth, the animals, he gave them a job to do, a woman to love, and a command to be fruitful and multiply. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you don't know what that means, ask your parents. And, if, and so man and woman are image bearers of the Creator, and our soul longs to be in a relationship with Him. So let me ask you, which sounds like it requires more faith? An intelligent designer, creator who made all things, or an explosion all things just happen to fall into place? Which one requires more faith? God and man were in perfect relationship in the Garden of Eden. God gave man a bunch of things he could do, and just told him one thing not to do. See, 
That's what people get wrong. But Jack, that's what people get wrong is that they come and they say, well, God's all about all these rules. All these things you can't do. We go in the very beginning. He said, do all this stuff. Be fruitful, multiply. Be over the ground, be over the hill. Do all this amazing stuff. Just don't do one thing. There was one do not in the beginning. Does that sound like God the rules to you? One thing. Don't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden because you will surely die. One thing not to do, so many things to do. The devil shows up as a snake. And listen, the only good snake is a dead snake. Amen. I hate snakes. It's the first instrument of Satan. They're all evil. And the devil shows up and he convinces Adam and Eve to not listen to God. Instead, eat of the one. And that was Adam and Eve. So let's just back off the Eve train. It was both of them. Instead, eat of the one tree that they weren't supposed to because it will make you like God. And there is this root of most sin, pride. I know better than the creator who made me. And they disobeyed God. And disobedience to God is sin. That is the definition. And when they ate, they knew they were naked, so they hid themselves. And at this point, sin entered the human race. And all of creation, all of nature, all the weather patterns, all animals, and our bodies health itself are now under sin. Adam and Eve are our original parents. Enjoy that, Mary couple. We'll talking about that later. Adam and Eve are our original parents. We were born with a sin nature. Adam and Eve's relationship with God has now been severed, and that counts for all of us. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. We are no longer in right relationship with God, and that is the definition of righteousness, being in right relationship or right standing with God. And God, in His perfect justice, cannot accept sin. The only just punishment for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. What we know of hell is for what the scripture tells us. It's a place of torment, fire, anguish, regret, and it is eternal. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death and eternal death. Romans 3.10, there's an unrighteous. No one is in a right relationship with God because sin entered the bloodstream. And at this point, Adam and Eve performed the first religious act to create me covering for themselves, which is man's attempt to cover sin. God shows up, calls them out, and God, for the first time in history, sheds blood. He makes a covering for their sins by killing an innocent lamb to make coverings for them. And then in Genesis 3, in God's perfect mercy, He tells us that one day He will send a serpent crusher, a Savior, who will bring a relationship between God and man back together. Fast forward a bit, God chooses the nation of Israel through His people to carry out His name and His glory throughout the world. Fast forward to the book of Exodus, and the people of God were slaves in Egypt. God sent Moses to lead them out. You've all seen the movie. At first, Pharaoh said no. Then God sent plagues. And finally, God said, I'm going to send the death angel and take the families, each family's firstborn son. The only way to protect your house would be another lamb, another blood being shed, being killed, the blood painted over the doorpost. If you did that, the angel would pass over your house and you move on and be saved. People of Israel were saved, and Pharaoh's son was killed. 
Then Pharaoh lost him, if you remember the movie, and he told him to leave. Then after the Red Sea moment, which we all see in the movie, so I won't go into that. Soon after that, God gives the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are both a map and a mirror for his people. A map to show us how to love and get along with both God and others. And a mirror for us to examine our lives to see that we cannot measure up. So out of God's compassion, he created the sacrificial system. He knew that we were weak and we couldn't keep this perfect law. So every year the people would again and again shed the blood of an innocent, spotless lamb. Their sins would be covered for a year and they would do every year at the Passover. All throughout the Old Testament, the people of God would follow him and then sin and then go into captivity and then be free and then go back and forth. All the while, the promise of a Savior was prophesied through different prophets. Finally, after hundreds of years, fast forward, God sends His Son to be born of a virgin. Watch a Christmas movie for the rest of the details there. God's Son was named Jesus. Jesus grew up and started His ministry at age 30. He was still and still, He was and still is the only one on earth in history not to break one single law. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all the Ten Commandments. He was 100% God and 100% man from birth. Jesus had 12 disciples taught and healed during his three-year ministry. Brought back people from the dead, healed cripples and things that only God could do. Then came time for him to die. Jesus would be the final sacrificial lamb. He was the lamb of God, the perfect spotless sacrifice. His blood would not cover the sin, but wash it completely away and make us white as snow, ending the need for temporary sacrifice. He was ridiculed, mocked, abandoned by his followers. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails. He was illegally tried and condemned to death on the cross. And on the cross, the most excruciating and humiliating way to die, God poured out God poured out the complete wrath and judgment for all the world's sins. All sins ever committed, all sins that were to be committed, God crushed them under His judgment, as it says in Isaiah 53. 2 Corinthians 5.21, beautiful, beautiful verse. For our sake. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God in right standing, a perfect relationship with God back to the original creation. He took our punishment, our consequences, and we received the credit for his life. Romans 5.1, therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means, just as I have never sinned, and now we have peace. We are reconciled to our Creator, to God, because of Jesus. Romans 5.10, for while we were His enemy, He reconciles us to God by the death of His Son. So much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. You see the order of that scripture. We are reconciled to God and now we are saved. That's the point of it, to be reconciled to God. And all the rest comes with the benefits of that. 
Christ on the cross and he had peace with God. Nine hours later, he, finished, he cried, it's finished, and he died. And three days later, Easter Sunday, the stone was rolled away. Jesus rose from the dead. And that is paramount because without the resurrection, there isn't justification. We are just a dead religion. He was seen by his followers, and at another time, another 500 people. Then he went back to heaven, where he's now preparing a place for us, and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will return and call the saved to our home in heaven. That is why we need the gospel. We have reviewed what the gospel is, what it is not, and why we need it. So the next logical question is this how will you respond? How will you respond? Romans 3.10 says there's no righteous, no, not one. Not one of us is in right relationship with God because of our sin. And you say, well, my little angel never sinned. Well, Romans 3.23 says, for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. We have all broken one of the Ten Commandments at some point. I go through each one of them with you, but we don't have enough time, so I'm just going to tell you this. I'm over ten. Just FYI. There's only one who fulfilled the law, one who was ten for ten, and that is Jesus. You know a beautiful way in Hebrews, that get here, one of my favorite verses in Hebrews, it says where it calls Jesus the glory of God. So what does that mean in this verse? That means that we don't measure up to Jesus. None of us do. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages is what you earn, what you deserve. You earn, deserve death. But the gift is salvation, righteousness of Christ. See, we get the credit for his life in the eyes of God. So when God sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness. That's why Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. Because when God sees us, he can never be disappointed because he sees Jesus. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you believe everything I just described, everything, and you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, somehow that counted for you. <coughs> and you give your life to the worship of Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You realize and admit that you are a sinner and that you can't save yourself. You need a Savior and to be forgiven of your sins. You pray to Him and believe He died and rose again. You want to give Him your life. All throughout the New Testament says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is there going to be anyone who believes? I'm done now. I'm walking. But there's some questions I'm going to ask before we're done. And then we're going to wrap up. We're going to sing a song. We're going to leave. Some questions I want to ask. Number one, will you accept the good news of the gospel and become a follower of Jesus Christ if you are not already? Will you accept the good news of the gospel? Will you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord? It's twofold. Are you ready to have hope and purpose in life? I'm not talking about self-help people. I'm talking about you need an evolution. You have no hope in life. You 
stopping you from everlasting life? What is stopping you from receiving that free salvation? And, and a follow-up question, whatever that's stopping you, is it worth it? In the last, the last, as people who may have been like me, grew up in church and one time you said a prayer once upon a time, and you hold on to that prayer, has your life changed? Are you different? Is there evidence? Is God, and this is what got me, I've been working on a message that works on you. Is God the one thing in your life that all things revolve? Every head down, every eye closed.